0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: I'm Jesse Thorne. When you're first starting out in show business, you pretty much take any job you can get. That means a lot of people's first gigs are really,
2: really weird. Here's comedian Andy Daly's. The first real time I got paid to act was a promotional uh, live event for Fruitopia beverages. <laughs> the Snapple competitor. Coca-Cola's yeah. competitor to Snapple. Yes, exactly. So they did this thing where they bought nine school buses and painted them to look like Ken Kesey's bus, uh, and they pulled them up in public places, and street performers spilled out and put on a free show, and then they handed out free beverages, and I was one of those street performers for a summer. And it was a stupid job. It was me in a rollerblading mime, <laughs> a ro- rollerblading hip-hop mime. <laughs> I remember the director of the show, this old man, learned the terms popping and locking from the rollerblading mime and kept saying it in rehearsals. Keep popping, Lloyd! Keep locking! It was great.
1: We've achieved the Coca-Cola company's buzz marketing dreams just 20 years later. It's Bullseye. Coming up an interview with Andy Daly, who now has his own TV show and won't have to worry about taking those kinds of jobs anymore. Andy is a very pleasant-looking guy
2: in a sort of all-American, unthreatening way, which maybe isn't ideal for a comedy performer. From the very earliest days that I was trying to do comedy in New York, it was very clear that the audience was responding to me as a nice little boy. (laughs) Luckily for him, he figured something out that I could play against the Howdy Doody look (laughs) and uh, surprise people. He does
1: just that on his Comedy Central show, Review. Later, I'll talk to the musician Jean Grey. She says she never made a conscious decision to become a rapper, but she keeps rapping anyway.
3: Rap is the best form of talk therapy, and it's probably why I've stuck with it. Not for any other reason, I could tell you that. She
1: and I will talk about growing up in a household of jazz musicians and how she dissed a Bullseye contributor on one of her records. Plus, I'll tell you about a classic Paul Anka recording, maybe the greatest bootleg recording of all time. It is not a song. That's all coming up on Bullseye. Let's go. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. There's a very short list of straight men who make you laugh. Charles Grodin is one, Jason Bateman more recently. You can put them in a weird situation and just watch them squirm. Andy Daly's a master of this. He's genial. He has a wide, pleasant smile, completely unthreatening good looks. Except my apologies (laughs) for that, Andy. But it's real. And he can take that all-American warmth to some of the darkest, coldest, most bizarre places you could ever imagine. On his Comedy Central show Review, he plays Forrest McNeil, a reviewer who reviews life experiences, hunting, addiction, the prom. Here, Forrest is asked to review the experience of eating 15 pancakes. That's five tall stacks of pancakes. He finds the activity sort of disappointingly mundane, but his confidence is shattered around the second or third plate of pancakes.
2: The world record for pancakes eaten in one sitting is 73 pancakes. That is held by a Russian man whose life must be an unendurable hellscape of excruciating sadness. Personally, I doubt I've ever had more than two pancakes in a month.
4: Okay, five tall stacks of pancakes. Yes. They say back in the kitchen, if you can finish it all, we'll put your picture up on the wall.
2: Mm, No, I don't think so, but thank you. May I have an enormous amount of water, please? You got it. This certainly is an upsetting number of pancakes. Here we go. They're tasty, for now. Three pancakes in and I already feel that I have greatly overindulged. I am full of pancakes. Any rational person feeling the way I do now would definitely stop. There's a very loud thrumming in my ears. My blood feels very slow. Oh, God. I have now eaten 10 pancakes, and on the bright side I can see the light at the end of this disgusting tunnel, but it has now been 45 minutes since I started eating and the pancakes are no longer hot.
1: These aren't food. <laughs> Andy Daly and I spoke last year during the first season of Review.
2: Um, Andy Daly, it's great to have you back on the show. It's great to see you. It's great to know that you're not threatened by my good looks. Hey. I, think, I think they're very threatening. I think you're a look
1: Andy, I want to be clear. <laughs> yeah. I think you're a better looking man than I. I think you're a very oh, okay. handsome right. man. Good. I just don't want people to think, because this is a radio program, yeah. you're the kind of handsome that uh-huh. makes a, a heterosexual man want to be friends with someone oh. rather than makes a heterosexual man want to get push someone out of their life in case they steal their wife or girlfriend. You've worked out a complicated fantasy <laughs> You must have self-awareness about this, Andy. This is one of the central parts. This and your sort of warm, broad-smile demeanor are central to, like, all of the characters that you do on stage.
2: Yeah. Well, we don't have to get too too deeply into what I look like. But I will tell you this, (laughs) just as a side note, almost every time I see myself on, on screen, I go... Is that what I look like? Almost every time, I never get used to it. Really? I don't walk around with a sense of what it is that I look like. But you must—you have a
1: sense. I of, have me blindness. But you have a sense of how people react to the way
2: you are in the world, right? Yeah. Right. Yes, that's true. I'm not a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andy, you're being difficult, but I think. Okay, you know no, what I'm not. I mean. Yes, I, I do know what
1: you mean. Yes. Yes. It must inform the way that your comedy career has developed.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, from the very earliest days that I was trying to do comedy in New York, trying to do stand-up on the advice of an agent uh, in 1993, it was very clear that the audience was responding to me as a nice little boy (laughs) with with pleasant dimples and freckles. And it was like – it felt very hard to – to say anything interesting when it starts out that way. Oh, here's a nice young boy. And I imagine but it's partly t- difficult to
1: to do the kind of
2: controlling the audience. that You, you have to be yeah. the boss of the audience sometimes right. when you're a stand-up. That's true, yeah. And also difficult for me as a stand-up was to settle on which particular aspects of my personality uh, I was going to speak f- from the point of view of, you know what I mean? Uh, I, f- I just felt like I— I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to say the character of Andy Daly is this. He's neurotic or he's angry or he's frustrated or whatever. So, yeah, all of those things were factors. But but what I did discover was that I could play against the, the, the howdy-doody look <laughs> and uh, surprise people if their initial impression was, here's a guy who just came out of the cornfield in the Midwest, a, a real sweetheart, and then here it gets dark. I want to
1: play a clip of you doing uh, a character as a stand-up. This character is called Paddy O'Herlihy. He is an Irish Blarney champion. But uh, I think it's a perfect example of your ability to take your natural warmth to a
2: very dark place. Oh, yes.
0: Well, last Christmas I turned up at a Christmas party and it was dinner with all the trimmings, but I was stuffed and couldn't eat a bite. The host said to me, how dare you show up at Christmas dinner all stuffed and you can't eat a bite. What's the story? And I said, let me tell you. <laughs> this morning, bright and early, I skipped breakfast and I went out fishing with my good friend Seamus and I was so hungry that I said, the next thing either one of us catches, I will eat it. And he says, no matter what it is. And I says, no matter what. And sure enough, he pulls out of the water a battleship that sunk <laughs> off the coast of Ireland in World War I. <laughs> Well, I'm a man of me word. It took me all day, but I did get it down. <laughs> oh, of course, the truth of that story is that I rent an apartment to an old lady on Morton Street and I stopped by on Christmas morning just to make sure she didn't blow January's rent buying presents for people.
3: <laughs> and what did I
0: see lounging on her couch but a big plump cat? and I've got a strict no pets policy, which she knows. So I grabbed the cat, I took it into the kitchen, I killed it, I skinned it, I cleaned it, and I made it into a soup. And then I ate it in front of her. And I made her have some too. Let me tell you, it was the saddest Christmas lunch you've ever seen in your life. Oh, I've eaten my own cat!
2: Blarney <laughs> champion, J- Patty he Yeah, winner of the Blarney contest in Limerick, Ireland. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's, if I'm remembering that bit correctly, I don't mm. think that's even the worst murder in a... <laughs> No, you're right. It gets quite a bit worse. <laughs> it gets a lot worse than that. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to the comedian Andy Daly. On his Comedy Central show, Review, he plays a man who rates various life experiences from one star to five. Many of those experiences, not all but many are really really awful things. Now I want to play a clip of you performing at Max Funcon which is our Oh yeah. annual uh annual sort of getaway retreat I love this clip. And this is you performing as Jerry O'Hearn. And I think he's just introduced as a stand-up comic. And and I think we can just leave it at that and we can talk a little bit about how it came to
2: be. I usually ask that that the introduction is, uh, you've seen him everywhere. He's done all the clubs and colleges. Jerry O'Hearn. Yeah. So here's Jerry. All this stuff that's going on in the world today? you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. I mean, no kidding, at this point, it really is like, excuse me, what? I'm sorry, what? I mean, unbelievable. I mean, I'm sorry, but the last time I checked, that kind of thing was not supposed to be going on. Okay, I'm sorry, but I did not sign off on that, okay? No, thank you. Unbelievable, right? I mean, it's just crazy. You know what I would like to know? Where is it written that this kind of thing is supposed to be happening? Because I didn't get that memo!
1: It's funny to me because it reinforces how powerful the rhythm of comedy is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it could, I mean, it's words there uh-huh <laughs> there are undeniably words but if you instead of making words mm-hmm. could do something that's sort of like the teacher on Charlie Brown or something yeah it would almost it that's the the premise even without the premise of the bit the bit does have a premise mhm just the rhythm of that yeah feels so much like something you're supposed to laugh at that you
2: find yourself laughing mhm I think uh, I did a stand-up set years ago in New York that was taped for me, like the venue taped it. And so I was able to go back and watch it. And there was one moment where I just screwed up a joke and I paused in the wrong place. I paused in the middle of the setup and it got a laugh. There was no joke there. But it was just I put put the punchline pause in in the middle of the setup and a few people laughed at it just because it was the rhythm of a a joke. That
1: was instructive to me. I'm Jesse Thorne. This is Bullseye. I'm talking to the actor, writer, and comedian Andy Daly. His show Review is currently in its second season on Comedy Central. You are an exceptional straight man. And often in in comedy, people don't want to be the straight man. Yeah. Because it's less fun. Mm Hmm. Or could be seen to be less fun because you're not necessarily the one uh, who gets to make the jokes. Right. Um, When did you realize that you were good at selling a joke with a reaction rather than selling
2: a joke with a joke. Ooh, that's a good question. Well, to me, first of all, Charles Grodin is a, is a hero of mine and seeing him in Midnight Run, it's one of my favorite all-time favorite performances um because he he is gosh, I don't even know if he's the straight man, but he's so real and he's so grounded. His character is is a very natural person uh who in some of the best moments of that movie like when the helicopter is chasing them and they somebody somebody de Niro says hey, we're going we're going to be fine he goes oh i'm sure we're perfectly safe it's just that just that wise ass line um oh and i also did a lot of it at Conan O'Brien doing bits on Conan where the whole idea was the the writing of the bit is what's funny your your performance it just needs to faithfully execute the writing of this bit and you know that's a challenge and and is that kind of thing of just do it grounded, do it real, find your ways through delivery of being funny.
1: I want to play a clip from Review's second season where Andy's review of being falsely accused runs into some snags.
2: In order to be falsely accused, I would need accusers. Huh? I turn to my intern Josh and his girlfriend Tina. So this is the police blotter for the city of Burbank. Now pick a crime on here, any crime at all and then accuse me of it. I don't want you to back down no matter what, no matter what the police say, certainly no matter what I say. Just point the finger of blame at me, please, and keep it pointed. Okay, yeah, no problem. Okay, good. See, look, here, someone's been stealing avocados from this woman's tree. Like, That's perfect. What you doing? Oh, you're getting started. You know what to do? I think
1: Tina's got it.
2: But very quickly, I began to suspect I'd left this task to the wrong people. Josh and Tina seemed to be putting off their accusation in favor of all other manner of business. While on an outing to buy headphones from a store called Craigslist, Tina ran out of gas. You get this at the gas station, fill it up with gas. Well, if
3: I'm going to the gas station, I'm just going to fill it up.
2: Sure, yes, you can hold on to that.
3: Have a good day. I hope you weren't doing anything really important.
2: To be honest, I was not, but this is still an inconvenience. Josh, in an effort to make up for this frustrating time suck, offered to have my glasses fixed. Like this side is closer to my face than this side. An errand which I did appreciate as they'd been crooked ever since I was shot in them. Here you
3: go. Thank you very much.
2: I felt useless in the meantime. A feeling Tina tried to soothe by having me sign some responses to our fan mail. I guess they'd get a big kick out of seeing my name signed on there. But very quickly, I began to suspect I'd left this task to the wrong people. Great, and
3: that's just your whole name. All right.
2: I couldn't have been more wrong. The police are here for you. <sighs> At last. Are you Forrest McNeil? Yes, I am, but officers, I'm sorry to say you've got the wrong man. I don't even like avocados. You see, they upset my Great. stomach. you're but, under uh, arrest for arson. What? Attempted murder? No, 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 What are you talking property? about? Whoa, whoa, Jabba, whoa, whoa. right to remain silent. No, 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 I dead. Call my lawyer, okay? Oh, who's your lawyer? Oh, really good lawyer. A realty lawyer?
1: Oh, Forrest. <laughs> um, this is this wasn't uh, this wasn't a premise that uh, you came up with, or that is original to this uh, version of the show. Can you tell me a yeah. little bit about
2: where it came from? Uh, this show ran for two years in Australia on I don't think one of their major broadcast stations. I think it was like a, a I don't know how it works down there, but like their equivalent of basic cable. So it was a cult hit. For two seasons called Review with Miles Barlow. And uh, they decided to do an adaptation of it and to ask me to do it. And, yeah, it was immediately obvious to me as it was to Comedy Central that I would be a good guy to do that. Why is that? Because this guy, he, he is a very straight man in the world. He's a guy who can go anywhere and be accepted wherever he goes and, and can then use that as his ability to experience insane things and to behave insanely. Uh, he is also... What I call a smart idiot. <laughs> so he he's educated and he's intelligent and he can present himself well. But it, it, the basic premise of his life here—that he can offer unique insights into any facet of life and is uniquely qualified to rate any facet of life on a scale of one to five stars—is phenomenally stupid. <laughs> but and it phenomenally is phenomenally
1: self-important too. Yes.
2: Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it's the animating principle of his life here, and, and he is thoroughly committed to doing it, no matter what the costs. And that w- is a very exciting thing to play.
1: I'm going to play another clip here. This is, um, this is you, your character, Forrest McNeil, reviewing Addiction. Um, and at first, he feels like everything is
2: going just fine.
3: Forrest, what's it like to be an addict?
2: Well, the only thing I've ever been addicted to is a thirst for knowledge. I guess that doesn't count, though.
4: I don't think so.
2: All right, then. I'm about to go and get myself addicted to something stronger and more powerful than knowledge. Aha! Uh-huh. Those are nicely made lines. Well, I have never done cocaine before, and I have no idea how easy or hard it is to get addicted to it. I confess I am quite nervous about this, but thank you. Mm-hmm. Bon voyage. Happy sailing. No. No. Oh, that's like bleach in my sinuses. That's terrible. No. That's a terrible feeling. Goodbye, cocaine. Oh, no, 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 Mister. No, no. What? No. You would have liked to have done that, cocaine? No. No, of course not. That's absolute garbage. It's terrible. I feel like going for a walk. You want to go for a walk? Yeah, I'm just gonna carry your trash. That's still very long. Okay, that's fine. Some people simply can't get addicted. Their brains are too sturdy. Could this be my problem? I tested that hypothesis with two other famously addictive substances: cigarettes filled with tobacco. (laughs) Oh no no no! And alcoholic wine. But I could not get those monkeys on my back. All this does is make me sleepy.
1: Forrest immediately responds to the sleepiness by doing a pile of blow. Yeah, exactly. Um uh-huh. did you did you uh did you and the, the rest of the team behind the show, um, you know, Carol Kolb and Jeffrey Blitz and mm-hmm. did you guys have a discussion where can we take this character? Like, how can we take this from being a sketch show into being a, a character exploration? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know,
2: uh, in the Australian version, they, they carry some circumstances of his life from piece to piece and from episode to episode. But there are others that, that are very standalone and do feel like sketches and one-off explorations. Uh, and, and we – I guess we do that too, but we were very interested in uh, – having the experiences be cumulative in Forrest's life and just seeing the pompousness of setting out on this course and and what it would do to him over time, what this stupid decision to do this television show would do to him. Uh, so addiction, his his cocaine addiction that he develops in episode one is a bit of a factor later in the season as well. Uh, as is the fact that he steals a dog. One of the things he steals <laughs> is a, a dog, and that dog is with them for the rest of the season. And there are all sorts of little things like that. And then, of course, there's a major life event in our third episode that informs the rest of the season, uh, and it's brought about by the show. And, yeah, it's, it's a character exploration, and it's a, it's a season-long arc more than it is uh, a sketch show. Do you mind if I talk about that
1: major life event? No, I think we should talk about it. Okay, great. We'll hear about the life crisis that befalls Forrest McNeil after a break. Plus, I'll talk to rapper Gene Gray. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Thanks for listening to Bullseye. You might be hearing this podcast on your smartphone or your computer, things that most of us can't imagine living without. Being connected to a screen all day is the new norm. So what's all that screen time doing to us? NPR's Guy Raz and the team at the TED Radio Hour are asking those questions in a special two-part episode all about our relationships with our screens, how they're changing the way we interact with others, and how they'll be shaping our future. Listen to Screen Time on the TED Radio Hour beginning September 11th. Find it at npr.org podcasts
2: and on the NPR One app. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Hal, and we're the hosts of We Got This. The show that offers definitive answers to dumb debates that you suggest. Every Wednesday, we discuss the hot-button topics you never knew you cared so much about, like whether you should put ketchup on a hot dog. What's the best Star Wars movie? Whether it's better to be too hot or too cold. Coke or Pepsi? Best Marvel movie? Which is the best religion? I told you we're not doing that one. So join us every week on MaximumFun.org. And don't worry, everyone. We got this. We got this.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to Andy Daly about his TV show, Review, and um, spoiler alert. Yeah, big spoiler. In the third episode of the first season, which which is, I think, when when things on the show really get thrown into gear. Uh-huh. Um, when things get serious. Yes. <laughs> um <laughs> One of the things that uh, Forrest is asked to review is what does it feel like to get a divorce. Now, <laughs> the one thing in Forrest McNeil's life that, through the first three episodes, seems to be pretty consistent is that he seems to have a pretty loving family life. Yeah, um, and so it's really, um, it's really upsetting to him that he would be asked to do this. Yes. And he considers whether he can get out of it. Uh huh. And he eventually decides that his commitment to this important work that he's doing yes, is on too this show. significant. Yes. And he um, asks his wife for a divorce. And so in this scene, he's been thrown out of the house by his wife. Yeah. And um, he's headed to his
2: office. Oh, hey, uh, Josh. Why are you sleeping in my office? Because you pay me in college credits. Can you turn off the light? You're you You sleep here every yeah. night? Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Since the beginning. That's why I took the internship. You guys don't have a security guard. I have to have meetings on that couch. That's a work couch. Close the door! Oh, gosh. Deprived of the comforts of married life, a divorced man might find himself experiencing something like loneliness. Desperate loneliness.
3: Hey, Mr. Manuel.
2: Is getting older really that sad? <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. Because that's our <laughs> act break. And...
1: That's a really that's a really amazing joke. It's funny because it's a misunderstanding,
2: uh huh, right? Yeah.
1: It's also funny because there is such emotional power in the idea that this kid just is staring down death in the form of a middle aged person, while this middle aged person stares down death in the form of this divorce.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the the Basic decision that he's made. He's made one mistake, actually, I think. I think Forrest McNeil made one mistake, which was signing on to this television show. (laughs) That's the only dumb thing he did. And he is not capable of saying, okay, there's a ceiling of sacrifice that I can make in the service of that one decision. Uh, it, it, the sky is the limit for him because it, it feels that important to him.
1: I feel like there would be difficult not to confront existential issues for yourself in writing these jokes.
2: Sure. Yeah, sure. It got pretty heavy. I mean, one interesting thing that I have contemplated is the fact that when we started writing this show, uh, just a month before we started writing it, my wife gave birth to our second child and then I disappeared into this show. And worked harder than I've ever worked before in my life. And it's a show about someone essentially feeling that their work is so important that they completely and truly abandon their family in favor of it. <laughs> and here I am every day pounding this out going, I wonder what's going on with my newborn child. <laughs> so it was something on my mind, you know, I think in some ways. In other words, it doesn't feel like just a job. It feels like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and, of course, I've, it's hard not to become obsessive and workaholic about it, you know. So I relate to Forrest in that – and then – but if you take a step back, you go, but this is a comedy show. <laughs> it's in its own way just as dumb as what Forrest McNeil is doing. So anyway, yeah, it's a struggle for me as much as it is for Forrest. But nobody literally told me I had to divorce my wife for the show, <laughs> and I haven't. Well, Andy, it's always really great to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on Bullseye. Thank you so much. A a great conversation. Thanks for watching it.
1: Andy Daly. His show, Review, is currently in its second season on Comedy Central. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. When rapper Jean Grey's parents moved her as a baby from South Africa to New York, they checked into the Chelsea Hotel. It was appropriate. They were jazz musicians. Her father, Abdullah Ibrahim, helped to found South African jazz. Her mother, Satima Benjamin, managed his career and was a gifted singer as well. Gray followed her parents into music, but not as a jazz player. For 20 years, she's been a standard bearer of New York's underground hip-hop scene. She's written powerful breakup songs and bared her soul on wax, and she's no stranger to what they call straight spittin'. Here she is on her LP, Gotham Down. The track is called Kill Screen, a.k.a.
2: Steve Weeby.
4: This is Rebel ish. Mojave Rock. Got polyglot to mollywop you till your body pop. I'm never sick when my temperature drop is 7 up. 1056. Oh, hell, praise the rock. I ain't a savior, just your neighbor like amazing Peter. Mine is the spider bite, the webs are aunt and uncle neither. Save the reasoning, the need to tuck the dynamite to even up the non believers. Humble season was cool, sure. Now I'm seeing North Shore faces and you your sure turn around and walk four paces. I walk four, five. Y'all 86 in all cases. I'm the figure eight sideways, always ageless. Y'all in
1: the club. Gray, welcome to Bullseye. Space. It's great to have you on the show.
3: I'm happy to be here.
4: So
1: I, I wondered, having grown up with parents who were not only immigrants, but immigrants who defined themselves artistically in part by their connection to where they came from, um whether you, as a kid felt you know felt like a New Yorker or felt like a south african
3: um i think um I think my my mom did a really good job of letting me understand that I could absolutely be both things, and um you know that was something that she always stressed. Uh, actually, one of her favorite sayings when, you know, even changing citizenship over, she'd be like, yeah, but I'm not – didn't make me American. Trust me, I'm a New Yorker, and that's very different, um, <laughs> which it is. I absolutely think it is. So uh, I, I definitely, you know, grew up being um, very much a, a Manhattanite, a New Yorker, um, but also, you know, being able to go back and visit family and – and um understand how rich my my heritage and and my ties to home were. So, kind of um I, you know, she just kind of taught me in general to to uh be able to be everything that you didn't really have to choose.
1: Let's take a listen to one of your mom's first recordings. I think in this in the 60s mm-hmm. um your your mom was already with your dad and they both got signed to Reprise Records by an A&R guy that folks might have heard heard of named Duke Ellington.
3: Yes, that guy.
1: Um, so little known,
3: little known Duke Ellington.
1: This uh, this is uh, my guest Jean Gray's mom, Satima Bay Benjamin, uh, performing "Solitude," and Duke Ellington is on the piano. This recording's from 1963.
3: In my solitude.
1: What did you think of your parents' music when you were a kid?
3: I hated it because they're just both not talented at all. Um, <laughs> it's, you could certainly I, you could
1: you would certainly be within your rights as a twelve year old to think it was boring.
3: I I I don't know. There was um there was so much music in the house all the time, um, and I really appreciated it. There's a great thing to that, and then there's the downside to it, which is from very little, it's like you kind of know too much about music so it's kind of like finding out that the whiz is doesn't exist from the beginning but you have to go through the entire thing anyway. Mhm. But um it 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 gave me an an appreciation for music and it was never it never seemed boring. Were you playing too? I was. Um definitely piano lessons which I would have kept up knowing now uh that I should <laughs> not have stopped. And then I thought I wanted to play the violin because um, it just sounded very cool. And I did not enjoy that after about two lessons, so that went away. <laughs> um, and now I, I was thinking, I, I actually... I think most people would say that they
1: really loved their first and second violin uh, yeah. lessons. You really get a lot of satisfaction so out of much. the tone you can generate from a violin the second time you play it.
3: Yeah, I just really wanted to jump ahead to the part where I could... Be able to play. It was just it was horrible, and the sounds. I was just the screeching sounds were terrible for my parents. I was like, let me just stop for for the greater good for everyone. Really, did you play with your parents? Um, no, I, you know, um, I don't think I appreciate it as much then. But, uh, learning to learning piano, having piano lessons on, on my dad's piano. Like in retrospect, that's crazy. That's, in, that's insane and amazing. Um, but I didn't, I haven't done anything. I did stuff with my mom. She did, um, a show at, uh, at Sweet Basil's when that was actually still around. Um, and I think that was one of the only, the only times I did, um, anything with my parents, nothing with my dad. Uh, but she made me really nervous. And I didn't know I was going to be that nervous on stage with her. Um, And she's also on uh, the intro to my Cake or Death album, which is still coming out this year.
1: I wondered if playing with your parents or learning from your parents, no matter how good they were, would still be sort of like having your parents teach you to drive, um, where you just really want your uncle to teach you to drive instead. Yes.
3: You're like, please, just get out of the car. I'll get grating on my nerves, um, and uh, yeah, I learned that when I was on stage with my mom, and I was like, "Oh, I am so nervous. Like it doesn't matter. I would just rather it be someone else." And I love her, and I love performing, and I know this is such a moment, but it's so stressful. It was very stressful.
1: Well, let's take a listen to uh, one of your father's recordings. Um, this is my guest, Gene Gray's dad, Abdullah Ibrahim. Uh, when he was uh, still recording under his original name, Dollar Brand, and the song was called Cape Town Fringe. That song, um, you know, among others of your dad's recordings, really became kind of I- iconic yes. songs of South Africa as a nation in a time that where South Africa was the center of the world politically yes. because of the struggle against apartheid. Um, how aware of you – were, you were a kid when all of this stuff was going down, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the early to mid-1980s. How much of a part of your life was that? That that was so central to what your parents were up to.
3: Um, yeah, it, it was a it was a lot. Um, you know, I, my parents went into self exile in in 1977, directly after I was born, and uh, they, you know, had traveled were traveling in Europe, uh, had lived also in the states for a bit, um, but when they had both myself and my brother, uh, my brother was born in 1970. They traveled back to South Africa to make sure that we were born there and then left. My brother was born in Soweto. I was born in Cape Town. And it it was very involved in it, but it didn't seem like anything um, out of the norm. It just seemed like it was a part of life. This is also who you are. And part of who you are is tied to, you know, some very, very deep uh, struggle and some pain um, but being able to talk about it freely, I think, is a big deal. And I think is a, is a big deal of, you know, parents who are being great with their children, you know, um, be allowed to ask questions, be allowed to talk freely, and don't shield them from too much.
1: I want to play one of your songs. Um, and this is from your album, Attack of the Attacking Things, from a few years ago. Way back. It's called Live For You, um, and it's, it's about your mom. My my guest is Gene Gray. Let's take a listen.
4: Are you disappointed in me? 23, can't get it together. No money, no job, death it seems to last forever. I just want to make you proud today. Accept an award that's in front of a crowd and say thanks in front of a million people. Tell you I've fallen victim to some evil things in the past. My rules are short and rough, a lot of things you don't know even if you asked, I want to tell you all, but I can't. You're too precious for that. Trying to explain why your daughter is into rap. I'm like guilt with a guilty conscience. Emotional politics wild only me. Constantly pregnant with a rowdy problem child in me. I wonder if you switch places, change the dial on me. Would you rather be somebody else's mommy? Divorce proudly. This only no apology needed. I understand the reason. It's the quality of living. But what you want for children. I'm not giving it.
1: But you're the kind did of you, did you ever have that that question in your mind of whether your mother would have rather had a different kind of child
3: um although she never said that um going through uh you know kind of my own issues in my early 20s and you know early adulthood you kind of uh see other your peers or, or friends and um even if it's you know just from going to school and you kind of run- run into them and they're you know doctors or lawyers are starting these families and um I think that was the only time that I really began to question it.
1: How did you feel about your own choice to become a rapper? Was it something that you were confident about that you felt like was a was a great pick for you?
3: um, I never really picked it um and you know, I joke all the time now that I'm still not sure if I've picked that um. It was, it was more of an accidental career for me, and uh, I, at a certain point I was like, well, I guess I'm doing this now. This is okay, so this seems kind of official. Um, but it's really something that was an, a complete accident that I stumbled into.
1: I'll finish my conversation with Jean Grey after a break. We'll talk about how she first got into rapping and hear a bit from her very first single. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Thanks for listening to Bullseye. You might be hearing this podcast on your smartphone or your computer, things that most of us can't imagine living without. Being connected to a screen all day is the new norm. So what's all that screen time doing to us? NPR's Guy Raz and the team at the TED Radio Hour are asking those questions in a special two-part episode all about our relationships with our screens, how they're changing the way we interact with others, and how they'll be shaping our future. Listen to Screen Time on the TED Radio Hour beginning September 11th. Find it at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app.
3: Hi, I'm Allegra Ringo, a dog owner. And I am Renee Culvert, a dog wanter. And together, we're the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog, a podcast for unapologetic dog lovers. So let's talk about this. What are you getting yourself into? What is this podcast about? Well, we have dog news, dog experts, and interviews with special guests about their dogs.
4: We also
0: talk about dogs that we met this week. Join us every Tuesday on MaximumFun.org for new
3: episodes of Can I Pet Your Dog?
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to the rapper Jean Grey. She just released two new EPs called Sakes and I Sweater God. So when did you start rapping?
3: My friend and I had a really, really terrible... Uh, there was this a uh, music that we, dubbed freestyle, which is kind of like Latin house but pop, um, and I used to play it a lot uh, on what what is is now Hot ninety seven, but used to be Hot one o three. So I ended up that was the first rap I remember writing, and I it was like probably like an eight bar rap um, that I thought sounded great going in the middle of a freestyle song cuz you always need like the rapper to come in. I was like, but how cool would it be if it was like me, like someone's in the group. Do you remember any of the rhymes from your freestyle rap? Absolutely not. And if I did, I would absolutely not tell you. I could be lying <laughs> right now. <laughs> no no way of you knowing.
1: Well, we we have your verse from your first uh from your first single. Ah. Uh, you were part of a group called Natural Resource, and this is sort of I mean, I, I remember in the late 1990s when um, underground hip-hop, with all capital letters, mm-hmm. was, you know, a national phenomenon. This was, those, this was one of those records that people talked about. You know, oh, you've you got to get your hands on this 12-inch. Um, so this is my guest, Jean Grey, back when her rap name was What What, um, as a member of Natural Resource. And the song's called Negro League Baseball.
4: From <laughs> the to the pro players, what to what? the labels yeah. and the mob in the bleachers making wages. What what? Looking at the picture like man, what gives? They got one arm fugitives throwing with prosthetic limbs. Yeah. Look from the team to the umpire, means that the man got demoted from stadiums, referee and jinx. Synonyms from big cheese to the independent label couldn't pay up their debt, so they got cut like unpaid cables. B-E-I-S-B-O-L, accent on the O. Feel sweat trickling down the back of my neck.
1: You know, your style is really recognizable on yeah, that record.
3: It is. I, you know, what? That's the first thing I just thought. Now, I like, it's really interesting that I think um, I go through these phases. And right now, the stuff I'm writing sounds a lot like that. Gene, um, and it was, you know, super playful and stop in the middle of the song and be like, no, that's that's wrong. Um, yeah, I kind of just went for it. And um, I was like, I'm, I don't want to pay attention to any of those rules. It's
1: Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Gene Grey.
3: Gene, there, uh, there's a
1: song on your record, Gotham Down, called 76% that I want to take a listen to.
3: Nice.
4: Imagine Bambada in Calcutta in 76 with a cosy sweater on. That's how hot I am. Then imagine Dorothy Parker in Alaska in 1926 at a ball. That's how hot I am. Also, many levels of hotness. My penny pineal gland is on the vacation topless. Cut me, I bleed agave. That's obnoxious. Why would you need to cut me? Trust me, it's a process. I could build your confidence, also be your accomplice. I couldn't say that with a straight (laughs) face, I'm honest. I'll push you in the Gowanus for nothing. Nothing. I'll punch you in a vomit button. (laughs) I'm kinda like Rick Moranis, but with Vigo in him.
3: From
1: the land of cry freedom, I probably would have McLovin. I think a a a pair of lines like um, "I'm from the land of cry freedom," uh, I probably would have effed McLovin.
3: Yeah, that's that's how I like to put things back to back. That made total sense (laughs) to me. You know the the rapper
1: that it most reminds me of is Eminem, Mm -hmm. Um, and I wonder if uh, he was sort of I mean he was sort of a peer of yours in that. Mid nineteen nineties underground hip hop culture before he became the most famous rapper in the yes. world. Um, and I wonder if uh, I wonder if that style, which often is on your records as on his, like graphically, like car- cartoonishly, graphically violent as mm-hmm. well. Um, we should mention, uh, it, you know, if the, if there was any interplay between that, like if if you heard his records and thought about what what if I was like that or you know so on and so forth.
3: Um, I've always been uh, um, a huge fan of um, kind of just ultra violence in general. And I think hearing him gave me the freedom to be like, oh, OK, I feel fine with doing this. I wasn't going to sound completely weird. Um, and and my thing was like always like I I didn't want to freak people out Um Leaving, especially leaving Natural Resource, there was a huge reason. I was like, you know, we just kept going back and doing these really happy, like, party songs. And I was like, I think I kind of want to go in another direction. And it's really dark. And I don't, I spoke to my partner and I was like, I don't really think that you are ready to go down that road. There's a lot of murders. (laughs) So many murders in these songs. (laughs) And all your songs are about partying and maybe um these th- These things don't gel together, but um I think around the time where I was really starting to do solo stuff um was you know m 's album dropping, so it was a nice sign for me to be able to be comfortable in my own skin
1: was part of being comfortable in your own skin and feeling comfortable rapping about stuff that crazy uh the fact that you were a woman
3: um no. You know what? I didn't take that into consideration. I just thought I sounded insane. Um, (laughs) Just for a human. And I, yeah, I didn't, I never really put the the female thing into play. I was like, these, like, these are terrible things that you're doing in these songs, um, regardless of gender. no. Let's take a listen
1: to another song from my guest Gene Gray's LP Gotham Down. It's called Before the Summer Brook.
4: I'm alright without a reason to do well, Star. My mama was the last thing I wrote the tales for. Inside I'm tail spinning down with napalm. It's strapped to my brain and on my back a flame thrall. Oh, you love it, what you came for. I tell myself that I don't really give up off what they want, but they came for. So came for. Try to think of it like that to save thought, man I'll be like, I'll be right back in the same song Never return and leave the happiest of days more Cause I don't get what you be putting me in lanes for If up music, what you're giving it a name for? Come on. I've been saying everything's gone fine And taking some days off Like everything don't pay no mind But my face on
1: I wondered whether, um, when your mother died last year, um, you thought about her role in in your life and, you know, what, what she meant to the art that you make.
3: What it did for me is to, I guess, propel me, um, You know, I've been getting a lot of phone calls and people are like, Are you okay? Are you on Adderall? What is going on over there? I'm like, No, I'm just, there's no time like right now. I don't see why I can't be able to do all these things right now. So it was a definite um, prompt into working as hard as I possibly could. Um, And for the past few months, that's kind of what I've been doing because. I I did, I had so so much, and I do have so much uh, respect and admiration for, you know, just her career, her art, um, and then just her as a person. So this is kind of, everything I'm doing is, is always my, my tribute to her.
1: Do you think you can continue to do
3: that? I think I need a, no, I'm going to need a vacation, um, really, (laughs) really soon, like, I'm not kidding, um. I got to finish up, a, you know, a, a season of the sitcom and, and we still have some some episodes to shoot. So that's that's a great part of my life right now. I'm really, really enjoying doing it. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm totally going on vacation and my vacation will include uh, zero social networking. Or if I'm going to do that, I'm only going to be tweeting um, or Instagramming the one thing I will be doing on vacation, which is playing Grand Theft Auto Five. And I don't want to do anything else. I just want to do that and possibly drink martinis. That's about it. It's going to be so real.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to the rapper Jean Grey. She recently released two new EPs called Sakes and I Sweater God. Here's a little bit of crux from the latter EP. <laughs>
4: The Karen is a barren, ain't it? Can call stress-related aging and immortal babies. Morbid thoughts that separate you from your moral cause. But serenaded, show have them all the minds of born And creators. that's why now I got the gall of blonde girls with pom-poms. at the mom's pearls at the prom. With the promise of going to a good college to bond. And of a non-scholarship. And my dad's in the clan. And my family's into politics. Mom, I'll choke it with a tampon string. Smoke over your body while some <laughs> more ham I'm really not a part of your party. You grasping for mercy. I don't have any. Personally,
3: ask him. Listen, I, I really can't help you. I got See, now I'm late. Now I'm late to do the hook. Now I'm just gonna just do ups until the next verse. All right? Is it just shut up.
1: I, I want. I have to ask you this because um, only one Bullseye contributor in the history of Bullseye has been um, dissed by name, full name, by a rapper in a song. Oh. Um, and you were the rapper. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So
3: <laughs> you who you,
1: it was o- Oliver, Oliver Wang. Wang. Yeah, this huh. is this is this is an old record. So <laughs> um, you know, I I don't want to make too much of it, but uh, <laughs> the the couplet was I dropped attack, meaning attack of the attacking mm-hmm. things. Critics hollered back with a thumbs up, exposing those who didn't. Mm-hmm. Oliver Wang, you dumb. <laughs> <laughs>
3: He was being, he was being that way, though. It was, you know what it was? It wasn't that it was, um, like, a bad review. It was snarky for no reason. And I didn't, I was like, well, what's that about, man? Because I don't know you. Why would you do that? Um because he's a he's a music
1: professional music critic, yeah, yeah i don't know about this i didn't you know. i didn't read it as snarky, but maybe that's because I've talked to him and he may be the most earnest person I've ever talked to in my life
3: okay i'll 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 take that because I like you as a person <laughs> 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 um, yeah but i I think it was also me um you know realizing how to deal with, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really social media or anything. Then it was, you know, Oliver Wang. What was it? Herb Magazine, maybe? Um, realizing that I could say something back and be like, wait, hold on a second. You are entitled to your opinion, but also will allow me to retort. Um, yeah, I would still punch Oliver Wang in the face. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's been so long. It would be very awkward if I just walked up to him and punched him right in the face. And it was like, that was for then, and I'm sorry about it now. <laughs> <laughs> and now this has happened. <laughs> Jean Grey, it's really
1: been a pleasure to talk to you.
3: Always is. To talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> and as well you, Jesse.
1: Jean Grey. Her new EPs are called Sakes and I Sweater God. Follow her on Twitter, at Jean Greasy, to see what she's up to. It's usually a new record. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's a web series. She's a woman who likes to stay busy. Every week, we like to close the show with a few words from your host. And a warning, this week's words will include some swear words. Beeped swear words, but, you know, earmuffs. It's the outshot. I want to introduce you this week to my very good friend, Mr. Paul Anka. If you know Paul, it's probably from a song like this from when he was a teenage crooner.
2: I'm so young and you're so old This, my darling, I've been told
1: Or maybe it's from this one. He wrote the lyrics for Frank Sinatra and then later on he sort of made it his own. I did it my. Now, Paul Anka is a wonderful singer, an entertainer with few peers. He is a man with very high standards, as evidenced by perhaps the greatest surreptitious recording of a band meeting ever. I defer now to the high standards of Mr. Anka. No
2: t shirts on stage. Understand
0: that? See the shirts that everybody's wearing? T-shirts. I'm sorry. Didn't I say shirts? Yep. I thought he was covered. You thought eight things tonight. You're on notice, John. I gave you a list. You had half a list that I gave you. with shoes choosing everything on it. Okay? The guys get shirts. Don't make a maniac out of me. This is like football, baseball, like anything else. The guys get shirts. That's just the... Wait, it is. And let's
1: be clear about this. It's not just about the clothes. Why can't everyone get the ending to My Way right?
0: I don't get it. Do you understand that? What's it gonna be, guys? Do you want Vinnie Falcon in front? Do you want me to go and get a conductor that'll sit and ride your asses? Is that what you want? Do you want your jokes? There is a lot of going on, and I am mean, telling you, you guys are on thin ice. Alright? I'm telling you right now. And when I move, I slice like a hammer. You've seen it, and I'll do it again.
1: Like a hammer, folks. Like a hammer.
0: You guys, can you add to this the confusion? Can you give us some intelligent input
1: here? Let's be clear, though. Paul Anka believes in perfection, but he isn't unreasonable. You've got some time to get your act together.
0: Now, guys, I'm giving you all one week to get this together. Okay? I'm giving you one week.
1: And ultimately, Paul Anka is a man who believes in the transformative power of creativity, and in that power within
0: you. Understand that? Because if you don't feel embarrassed about it, and you have no conscience, you have no heart, you have no integrity. You understand that? People of substance and character care about what. The- Okay? I'm on that kind of an integrity
1: Now obviously this is one of the funniest recordings ever of all time. I could seriously listen to Paul Anka yell at his poor band over and over and over for maybe three weeks and I would laugh every single time. But think about the conviction in his voice as he screams these obscenities. Paul Anka's whole life, since he was a teenager, is about putting on a show. There's nothing he believes in more deeply, making that audience happy. And you better believe he hires the best guys to help him do it, but they have to care as much as he does or it just isn't going to work. So while you're laughing at Paul Anka, think about what you care about in your life. Doesn't matter if it's music or writing or gardening or whatever. And think about Paul Anka, and ask yourself a simple question: When you move, do you slice like a
0: hammer? Because you got it too good. That's just the way it is around here. Do you hear me? Understand that? Don't make a maniac
3: out of me.
1: my hotshot. We've come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Julia Smith. Production fellow at Maximum Fun is a body and Senior producer is Colin Anderson. All our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Thanks to the Go team and their label Memphis Industries for our theme music. If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, they are all free. Just go to MaximumFun.org or open up whatever you like to use for podcasts. And if you want to hear more about cool culture stuff, you can check out our sister podcast, Pop Rocket. It's a roundtable discussion of everything great in popular culture, hosted by comedian Guy Branham. This week, both an insider and outsider's look at the VMAs, Uh, Guy actually wrote for them this year, including a particularly smart discussion of Macklemore's new track, Downtown. It is like more insight about the new Macklemore song than you thought could fit into one podcast. Pop Rocket. Download it wherever you download podcasts. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.